All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from the uh, here in New York City from the, on the 20th day of March, 2018. Before I talk more about today's show, as I like to remind you, every week I am the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Gold, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for my letter at miningstocks.com. And also uh, pick up on a lot of good commentary there, uh, links to, to great articles that are written by various people, as well as the companies that I follow. You can keep up with those uh, as well uh, through the links at miningstocks.com. Uh, would also like to encourage you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's excellent newsletter, chenpicks.com. It's where you go for that, chenpicks.com. And I want to thank you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. We also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for this week are RN Resources, Ventura Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, Genesis Metals Corp., Klondike Gold, New Range Gold Corp., Northern Empire, Novo Resources, and Uranium Energy. I've titled today's show, Are We Facing a 1970s Stagflation in Spades? John Rubino, Michael Oliver, and Nav Dhaliwal uh, are all return guests this week. As Alistair McLeod has noted recently on this show, we are at that point in the credit cycle when money created by the Fed is finally starting to bleed into the economy, into the real economy, triggering rising wages, some additional economic activity, and ultimately higher commodity prices. Ms. Shedlack um, wrote a very interesting article that I picked up on this morning. Uh, oh, no, we're running out of people, was the title of the article. Um, and uh, you can access that at miningstocks.com, just as an example of one of the reasons to go there. Uh, the idea is that we are that as this economy heats up, there just aren't enough people in the workforce suggesting uh, that we're going to be heading into some sort of uh, uh, wage inflation problem here. Shedlack doesn't isn't buying that. He's suggesting that there's just an awful lot of people that have simply taken themselves out of the workforce. Uh, and that, in fact, uh, that's not something to worry about. Well, Michael has always been more of a deflationist, so it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but, you, again, you can pick up on that article at miningstocks.com. Uh, I think a very interesting story, a very interesting idea is that, that Mike uh, passes along. Whatever the story, Michael Oliver's work strongly suggests that we are destined for rising commodity prices and stock and bond uh, declines. Um, and at the same time, 
it is widely expected that President Trump's tariffs will lead to higher U.S. consumer prices, especially if a trade war breaks out. Well, while free trade is a principle uh, that economists from the far left to the far right agree on, there may be a huge amount of difference when free trade is defined. What is free trade? Well, regarding the idea of free trade, I would strongly suggest that you again go to miningstocks.com to uh, click on a link by Charles Hugh Smith titled, There is no free trade, there is only the Darwinian game of trade. Actually, Charles Hugh Smith is scheduled to be on this show with me next week to discuss the topic, that exactly that topic, which has brought, me, uh, brought about much wrath, of course, uh, Donald Trump's trade tariffs that he's talking about implementing. Um, some are even comparing Trump's trade proposals with that of the Smoot-Hawley tariffs that uh, I think, erroneously, to a great extent at least, are blamed for the Great Depression of the 1930s. Others think that we are heading more towards a 1970s stagflation environment in which the cost of living is rising at the same time that recessions abound. And that is what we will be talking to John Rubino about, uh, at least part of our discussion in the second half of today's show. One sector that did exceedingly well during the stagflations of, of the 1970s was the gold or gold exploration stocks. And that's when I cut my teeth in this industry that I'm so much involved with. So I'm really pleased uh, to have Nav Dhaliwal uh, of Bonterra with me today to talk about that company's exploration program. It seems to be outlining on the on its way to a multi-million high-grade gold deposit in Quebec. Very exciting story, I must say. I own shares of the company. It is a recommendation in my newsletter. And, uh, of course, that's why I invited them to become sponsors of this show. In the 1970s, the Fed attempted to counter inflationary pressures by printing more money, which led to serious inflationary problems at that time. Unlike the 1970s, the current Fed is on a restrictive monetary path. But how much pain can be endured before political pressures force the Fed to again add monetary fuel to the inflationary fires? What will all this mean for stocks, bonds, and precious metals? And again, uh, we're going to be uh, talking to John Rubino about that in the, pa- in the second half of today's show. But uh, Michael Oliver, uh, also right now. Michael, thanks for joining me again. Good to be back, Jay. Always good to have you, and, uh, you know, we like to say in the exploration business uh, that uh, we, we have something called the truth-telling machine, the truth machine, and that's called the drill rig. Geologists have theories about where a certain mineral might be, but they never know for sure until they put the drill, the drill core down. They pull up the drill core, and then they send it to the lab, and they assay it, and that tells you what you've got. And I like to really sort of compare your... Uh, structural momentum uh, models to a truth machine, Michael. So, you know, I, I, as far as I can tell, I've never found any reason to doubt your integrity in the in the uh, uh, the work that you do. And I think it's to a large extent because you rely on what your work is telling you. Not you're not telling the work what it should be saying. You're listening to what the markets are telling you, right? Yeah, correct. So, I mean, that's the difference. And, you know, people like me who are, you know, we have our theories. I'm an, I, I buy the Austrian economic theory, as I know you do, too. Austrian free market economics are really where we should be. That's the best outcome for people. But believing that then sometimes takes me to believe that markets are going to go somewhere long before they do. I'm usually right, but I'm wrong in terms of timing. So this is what I think your work has been so helpful to me. Um, 
rates are on the rise today, Michael. At least they were earlier today. The dollar index was stronger today. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the equity markets recently, uh, but they, um, they they were sort of going the wrong way. A, a lot of these markets today seem not to be fitting in with your longer term uh, strategy. What comment to comment uh, on on the equity markets? Because I think that you you put out something just recently about the Nasdaq in particular uh, that you're watching mm-hmm. very closely. No, uh, my focus has shifted uh, recently mostly to the Nasdaq 100. And uh, it's the front man in the entire developed markets indices of the world in terms of upside performance. Uh, the leadership, the narrow leadership, is confined in the front end of the NASDAQ 100. It's the Googles, the Amazons, Apples, etc. And that's where your distinct leadership has been. So of all the indices that broke down earlier this year, especially in February, uh, NASDAQ 100 was not one of them by mm-hmm. our metrics. It dodged it by roughly 30 points, which is less than a half percent um, in that early February sell-off, which, which busted the heck out of a lot of indices uh, overseas and here in terms of getting off the high. Um, S&P never went back to the high. NASDAQ went up and made a new high, NASDAQ mm-hmm. 100. Uh, it didn't last. And um, last week's close on the NASDAQ 100 was back just above 7,000, uh, 7, which had been the prior two peaks of that index, so it thought it was sitting on support. Well, our suspicion in the weekend report is it's got minutes left, okay? And sure enough, yesterday dropped 150 points in the NASDAQ 100, actually more than that intraday. Um, We think it's broken near term, but our key level is a quarter. We're looking at quarterly momentum, which is a long-term metric. Uh, We measure price against a three-quarter moving average, and we oscillate it. And it has a very clear structure. If you saw the momentum chart, that even look like the price chart. While the price chart is this upward curving arch, uh, momentum is a flat floor. And mm-hmm. it's like the bridge on the River Kwai. Uh, and I think the charges have been put up under the bridge right now, and I think all it has to do is close out a week below the structure that we define in our reports. Uh, and it's going to blow that and head down hard, meaning all the leadership stocks will be broken. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, just, that's why our focus is fairly narrow now, because, frankly, the leadership is very, very narrow right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So when NASDAQ 100 goes, I think that's it. That's the last, the last straw, and then equities will head south. As far as day-to-day action, I couldn't care less. I, yeah. Frankly, I, I, we just put out a report on NASDAQ 100 echoing what we said in the weekend report. But I encourage our subscribers not to be eager for a drop in the NASDAQ right now. We had a big one yesterday. All I'd like to see between now and the end of the quarter is fumbling around in a confusing way, uh, which is what markets love to do to get people debating whether they're up or down. Uh, The NASDAQ 100 doesn't have to do a lot more on the downside than it did yesterday by the end of the quarter, which is next Thursday, by the way, because it's a Friday holiday. And at that point, if you find the NASDAQ 100 roughly much below yesterday's low, or if it closes out this quarter around much below yesterday's low, which is just above 6,800. It's going to blow the bottom out of it when it opens next quarter. So we're patiently sitting on our hands right now with the expectation that it's wounded and it could be badly broken once we roll into April, Uh, especially if its price just just maneuvers itself toward those breakage numbers, which, again, are specified to our subscribers in the reports. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's why our focus is narrow on that index, because it, it is the leader. Uh, as far as the rally in bonds, we expected it. We expected a minor counter-trend rally uh, about a month ago. It's, 
it's not been as strong as we thought it might be, but it's a minor event in a major downtrend, meaning yields are going up. I think yields could go over 4% this year easily on 30-year bond. Wow. Uh, and, you know, right now price is a 144 area. We could easily see in the high 120s on the T-bond futures. Uh, the German bonds look very weak. Uh, and there's all kinds of interesting events going over in Japan right now uh, where Abe is in some political scandal trouble. And if he's in trouble, it could be that uh, the BOJ could be in some trouble in terms of uh, who's, who's in charge. And, uh, you know, so we've got to watch the events there that could shake and rattle the BOJ in terms of mm-hmm. its policy directions. Because uh, mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been the most egregious, crazy central bank man has ever produced. Oh, oh for sure, yeah. <laughs> and they got a big so, jump on us uh, all the way back in the 1990s, you know, after they... Yeah, yeah well, they've, been, they've been doing all kinds of magic things since then, and uh, to basically to no avail. But uh, yeah. anyway... They haven't de- they haven't defied the laws of nature the laws of nature's markets yet I, I suspect um, yeah. well, just uh, one quick word on on gold I see the dollar is very strong today very strong quote unquote uh, up uh, 0.6 on the index to 89.94 as I look at the screen right now no change in your idea about the dollar no, no, longer no. term and gold it's both no. uh, yeah, bullish for gold yeah I'm still bullish on gold I think gold is sitting near the upper quadrant of the last two years of price range. Um, silver is not. Silver is down in the middle of it. So the GD, is the GDX, the gold miners. But gold, meanwhile, is within a few percentage points of the top end of the last two years' price range. And despite all the volatility up and down in the other markets, gold has been very quiet for three months. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's, it's one of the quietest three months we've had in a long time. And yet everybody's nervous. Um, and I just see it as, as a waiting process to go up. And I think once you break the stock market, that will encourage greater investor preference shift out of equities into commodities well sure 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 we got uh, the got canadians have their yeah. the canadians have their cannabis stocks and there's bitcoin the uh, the you know the cryptocurrencies all those distractions yeah, yeah. along with the stock market that's continuing to to meander along uh, although as you say the the danger signs are there uh, and you also put out something I see this today or one of the recent days on the grains. You're still extremely bullish on the grains, aren't yeah, you? I'm Looks like several of them are starting to break out. The grains yesterday, and no doubt that upset some some folks who were long. But uh, uh-huh. the sell-off was above levels of the upside breakage on annual right. momentum that occurred in January and February. Right. And I think right. the food commodities will, on a percentage upside basis, will outperform uh, most commodities this year yeah. and contribute to the overall, uh, you know commodity inflation yeah which will get the uh, central bankers a bit nervous yeah, and uh, nervous and but then yeah. they got a predicament because uh, if they want to try to fight the commodity inflation they're going to hurt the stock market and that that puts them in a real pickle <laughs> oh well they don't want that that's for sure uh, they have a, the hissy fit stock market that david stockman talks about has has had federal reserve chairman in the past uh, just pumping money into the system anyway all right, um, Michael, thank you so much again for your insights. Always, thank you, Jay. Always very, very important. It's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Folks, you don't know what you're missing if you're not subscribing to his newsletter, so you might want to check it out. If you're a serious investor, you owe it to yourself to do so. Thanks again, Michael, and we'll look to do it again next week, hopefully. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks. Well, uh, we do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away. Nav Dalliwal of Bonterra Resources will be with me, and they have a very exciting project, a multi-million, I think, on its way to becoming a multi-million high-grade gold deposit in Quebec. 
uh, that uh, looks outstanding to me. So don't go away. We'll be right back talk to talk to Nav Dhaliwal. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. New Range Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project. Located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest-grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per ton. Well-financed with no debt, New Range is unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX, symbol NRG. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike gold rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Nav Dhaliwal. He's the president and CEO of Bonterra Resources. And Nav has had a very successful track record in the past uh, as an entrepreneur, bringing the uh, pieces together that, that makes make for success that is money and people uh, and a vision of the future. And he certainly has one now with a very exciting company, uh, Bonterra Resources, one that I own personally in my account, and it has been a... Uh, has been a recommendation in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And, of course, um, the companies that I like the most are the ones that I invite to become sponsors on this show, for the most part, anyway. I think that's every one of them that's uh, currently sponsors um, that is true of. So thanks for joining me again, uh, Nav. I appreciate you having me on, Jay. Really good to have you, and I should just tell our listeners, uh, your stock trades under the symbol BTR in Canada, B-O-N-X-F in the U.S., uh, which is the symbol that under which I bought it. Uh, 226 uh, million shares out, trading it in U.S. money at about 43 cents, giving it a market cap in U.S. money of just under $100 million. Well, your current resource at the Gladiator Project, uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but it is something like 273 thousand ounces uh, 
but and that's not a high number yet, but it's 9.37 grams per ton, and that's only on, I think, 15,600 meters of drilling. Now, you have a massive drill drill program underway. You've had a major, you know, something, I think, something like 83,000 meters drilled between 2012 2017, and you're drilling another 30,000 meters this winter through the ice up there in Quebec. Um as an interested shareholder, I've been keeping my eyes on the on the drill results, and man, they've been quite good, very impressive, consistently impressive, I might add. So what can you tell our listeners about the results that you've been getting, uh, and how soon might we expect an updated resource on your uh, Gladiator Gold project? Yeah, absolutely, Jay. So uh, this morning we put out uh, our, our news release here of one of our first drill holes off the ice in 2018. And uh, again, it's reconfirming our, our um, the continuity and the integrity of our, the deposit and, uh, and really the geological understanding that we have here. So, you know, off the main zone, we hit about six point six and a half meters of 17 grams. So again, it is definitely showing the integrity of our, our deposit as we, we continue on. Um, we did, as you were mentioning, um, you know, that, that old resource to kind of put in context for the listeners here, um, that 273,000 ounces at nine, 9.4 grams a ton, that's 200 meters at strike by 200 meters at depth. So imagine that. Now, what we've accomplished uh, since called the beginning of 2016 to currently, we've taken that and stretched it out to over 1.2 kilometers at strike by mm-hmm. over a kilometer at depth, still open wow. in all directions, but defining now five zones. Um, so we've really, you know, in short order, expanded this deposit. And this aggressive um, drill campaign of 30,000 meters that we're doing here um, that should be wrapping up by the end of April um, is now quickly going back to infilling um, certain pierce points that we need uh, 50 meters or, or less uh, spacings because we we intend on having an updated 43101 out in the second half of this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we, we've taken uh, just recently uh, at the end of uh, February, we raised an additional $21.5 million from another strategic. Uh, so we're comfortable in the treasury. We've got over $40 million in, in uh, the kitty now. Um, so we're comfortable for... Um, cash now, if we're spending anywhere from 10 to $12 million this year, we're, we've got we've got a treasury that will last us here for another couple of years. And again, as we get to the 43101 uh, in the second half of this year when we publish it, that will give us our next, um, I guess it will lay out our next plans going forward. Do we continue mm-hmm. tightening, tightening things up? Um, do we, you know, go further on getting a bulk sample out? Because when we're drilling down, Jay, to a kilometer plus down um, at this deposit, you know, first off, it's time, the time it takes, and then the money as well. Um, so, you know, do we, we, and again, these are discussions that the, the technical team and the board has, is does it make it more sense to take that bulk sample when we get this 43101 and establish a new resource? Mm-hmm. And is it, you know, more cost effective than getting down and, and seeing the depths of this deposit, which are still, um, we haven't closed anything off here. That's what's yeah. exciting about this. Um, yeah. So with this 30,000 meter drill campaign that we've got going on, 80% of that's concentrated with five drill rigs right now mm. on top of the deposit. 
Uh, two now are regional. One to the southwest and, uh, and the, at, at the seventh rig to the northeast. Uh, from all the groundwork that we did over the summer, um, you know, with the IP ground mag, and what really works in the series is that the till samples that we take, the soil anomalies that we grab, we feel very confident on our regional uh, targets now. So, mm-hmm. again, for, for listeners out there looking at Bonterra, either continuing to look at it or first time looking at this uh, stock, there's a lot in store for us here. Um, seeing that when we went into finance mode, the drills never stop. Um, but as we keep, you know, good governance here, um, when we're in finance mode, we don't look over the wall. We get the financing done, and, and it, once the financing is complete, we just put out the first of many news releases now to start coming out to the marketplace. We need to keep our investors, the listeners through uh, your show here, Jay, um, you know, informed on what is Bonterra doing? Um, yeah. How is it, where, where is Nav and the team and Dale creating the value for us if we become shareholders or if we're existing shareholders? And, and you know, get the excitement that we're feeling excited on this side. And, you know, like I've always said, is we're a transparent company. Um, and we want to show that transparency through our, through our uh, news releases and get, uh, get the community, investing community, um, as excited as everybody else is from the people on the drill rigs to all the way to uh, the board members. Um, right. You know, it's, it's exciting times. Well, for sure. And I, I mean, just to put this in context, 20, a 200 by 200, uh, 200 meters of depth, 200 meters long strike to a 1.2 kilometer, kilometer long strike to one kilometer of depth. I mean, this is a magnitude of, of, of considerable increase that you're going to have in your resource, I, I should think. Uh, and now th- this comes up to surface, pretty close to surface anyway. So when, when mining uh, finally begins at some point in the future, it's not as if you're going to have to go to great depths. It is an underground mine. But I, I want to ask you, um, is there still some potential along strike as well? You're 1.2 kilometers long strike. Uh, or some of these other programs that you're looking at, would those be distinct deposits, or or would be they be continuous with what you're working on now? Well, that's um, you know what, that's a great question. Um, you know, to the southwest, what we found, we did hit a new discovery in the in the third quarter of last year. And what was different about what we discovered on the Coliseum property, that's to the southwest, away from the Gladiator by six kilometers, was we found two ounces of silver. Now, gold being the base throughout it all, uh, but again, so with our soil anomalies, what we picked on was more of a base metals. As, as further as you went down to the southwest trend, uh-huh. you started picking up on more of a copper zinc. So we see that it may turn into, you know, maybe a VMS style. Again, mm-hmm. the drill bit will tell us here shortly. Um, so, and which makes sense because towards that uh, southwest trend, there's other properties out there with high copper and high zinc within it. Um, so we're, we're very intrigued on what we're seeing uh, from that. But when it comes to the actual deposit, we could add um, more strike, but to the northeast now, which is about, mm-hmm. again, about, I would call it uh, 10 kilometers away from the deposit, there's been um, historical showings. There's been a drill hole with the, the logs that show similarities to what we're seeing on the deposit. So we're quite excited to see how that works out. And again, as we're working, we will be stretching out and because we need to see where this is closing off and how it's closing off. Um, and and as we keep working, we can kind of define that. And through 
through informing the you know the the investing community out there through news releases, we'll we'll definitely keep them up to speed on how it's growing, where it's growing, and 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 where it's 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 closing itself off if it does at all in the next little while, right? Yeah, exactly. Now you, I know that you're uh, you've got some metallurgical tests coming out, and I've been talking to you earlier today. Uh, you seem to be quite upbeat about the possibility of some some good news there. Uh, to what extent can you comment on metallurgy at this stage? Yeah. No, thanks for mentioning that, Jay. You know, there's a lot happening, and, and um, yeah, when we were talking earlier there, uh, in that news release, we got the grades back, so they were very encouraging grades from metallurgy, uh, the, and those met holes are large diameter holes that we sent in for in the metallurgy, which that should be out here in the next, I would call it, um, you know, anywhere from two to four weeks, uh, we'll be putting that out there, and, um, you know, what we're seeing is, is that... Um, Things are encouraging for us. Uh, we're we're looking forward to that because that will really define um, and, and give that direction to the people that have been in the mining and 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 have been involved in in getting into production. Uh, what it is that they're dealing with. So we're quite we're quite um, excited about getting that out because it's all layering on top to provide the overall uh, picture of what we're doing here. You know, the grades are great. You know, the expansion's fantastic. But what's metallurgy? Um, and then when you can paper it all together with a 43101, you want to make sure that, you know, again, as you layer everything up, that it's all making sense. It's all cohesive. Um, and this integrity is there. It's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to prove it. And uh, we're looking forward to proving it out. You know, Nav, uh, the big thing that I see with junior exploration companies is how their capital is structured. Who owns the stock? Uh, you mentioned a little while ago a strategic investor that came in in a big way just recently in your last financing. Could you talk to us a little bit about who some of your strategic investors are? Who are some of these people that can help take you to the next level? And it's, in fact, at some point in time as an exploration company, I would, I would imagine uh, that your hope is or your desire and you're working towards having building a deposit that is the envy of some of these major mining companies, but could you just talk to us a little bit about the strategic investors that own Bonterra? Sure, and, you know, it can give uh, uh, investors out there or, or people that are looking at Bonterra, uh, you know, that timeline. So in the early days, you know, we, we did uh, take in traditional flow-through. Um, so now slowly over, since the beginning of uh, 2017, we really have kind of turned this over and started turning the roster, if you want to say, um, by bringing in the likes of Eric Sprott, Kirkland Lake Gold, Joe Foster from Vanek, um, you know, you've got uh, uh, John Keith out of Century, you've got Rick Rule and, and Andy Jackson from Sprott USA, um, you know, being big shareholders now that we're feeling confident that, you know, we've got enough in it you know, integrity with shareholders that have seen this kind of thing before where they, they see the value of what we're doing here. Uh, and just recently, you know, bringing uh, in a, a major UK fund that manages over $8 billion in their portfolio that uh, were the lion's share of our last $21 million. So again, it's it, we're showing it through the work that we're doing um, and how we're able to manage uh, for the most part, there's expectations. So how we can manage that expectation and manage capital by deploying it. 
um, that's what really gets building the value for our shareholders here is um, getting out there, getting that capital deployed onto the property uh, and uh, not letting go. For the fact is, is that in this area, if you take within a 10 kilometer radius, there's other companies out there doing fantastic work and, you know, mm-hmm. we're all cheering for one another. Uh, within a 10 kilometer radius, you're going to have multi million ounces of high grade material that yeah. will resonate with uh, the bigger players out there that see value in uh, a mining f- friendly jurisdiction as Quebec is. Um, so again, you know, it kind of adds to the bigger picture. We're in uh, the first legs of proving out the resources. You know, the infrastructure's there. We built out a 25-man camp to an 80-man camp. You know, we've got a network of uh, infrastructure throughout our properties now. Um, so we're accessible all year round. We were always accessible all year round. It's just now that much easier for us. Um, you know, and, and again, uh, working with the communities, working with the ministries, it's just we're being proactive as we, yeah. you know, progress not only the deposit but just the 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 whole picture all the way around right. of the company. So, right, de- yeah, de- we're risking having, the project. Uh, we're having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, de- risking the project. I, I know, Dav, that you have another pro- another project that you haven't talked about. I don't think the market's giving you any value for it, even though it has a great deal of promise. Uh, so I know you don't want to talk about that right now, but boy, it's something that I look at as an investor and think, hmm, this is really good because there's another one you've got in your hip pocket that, that might be of value sometime. And we're talking about a project just across the uh, the, the line over in uh, Ontario. We are basically out of time, but maybe 30 seconds to comment on that, if you would. Well, and uh, yeah, absolutely. So we've got a million ounces, just under a million ounces on the uh, Cadillac Larder Fault there that we call our Larder Lake project. Uh, we've definitely uh, picked up a jewel there uh, when markets are sideways as a secondary project. But, I lo- you know, as, as a company, we look forward to creating value for our shareholders, and uh, we're in that process now. Yep. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it go at that. Thank you so much, Nav, for updating us on this very exciting story. Uh, I must say I am a a very happy shareholder today, especially as one of the few stocks that are up today in a bad market for gold shares. So uh, congratulations on that latest uh, news release as well. All right, folks, we do have to go to commercial break. Don't go away. John Rubino will be back with us. Uh, We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to raise the question of whether or not we're in a 1970s stagflation type of environment and what that might mean for gold shares. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. 
Uranium Energy Corps, NYSE Market, UEC, is a leader in the coming bull market in uranium. With spot uranium up more than 40% in two months, the new bull market is just starting. UEC has the cash, the licensed resources, the permitted processing center, the advanced technology, and the experienced team to lead this market. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting uraniumenergy.com. NYSE Market, UEC. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me a good friend, John Rubino, as my guest uh, in the second half of today's show. Uh, thanks for joining me again, John. Oh, sure, Jay. Good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, and it's good to tell our listeners that your website is dollarcollapse.com, dollarcollapse.com, and um, a lot of very interesting titles and, and articles that are that you've posted there. Uh, that uh, I want to get into uh, today as we talk about the subject about stagflation. Uh, Could we be facing stagflation as we did in the 1970s? I believe you're old enough to remember the 1970s. John, maybe you were... Maybe you were in kindergarten or something. I don't know. <laughs> I was hey, a young adult. I was in college. <laughs> oh, I don't think you're that old. Anyway, uh, were you in college then? Okay. I, I was. And, and you know what? The 1970s was actually a really formative experience for me because I thought it was a philosophy major in college. and But I, I picked up a book by a guy named Harry Brown, who was a, a libertarian philosopher. Oh, and also, yeah, sure. a, he was a gold bug investment advisor. So I was paying attention to gold. When uh, when gold went to eight hundred and fifty dollars an ounce from yeah. you know, what what was it thirty five to start and yep. silver went from a couple of bucks to fifty bucks an ounce so you know, my my first financial bubble was thanks to you know that experience reading a philosophy book and and you know the bubbles have continued ever since so that was a really good piece of early education. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess you were, you know, a decli- among a declining number of people that were alive when we still had a quasi gold standard. Then you were alive then. I mean, as a young <laughs> yeah. guy, I mean, 1971. I remember very well reading the New York Times on August 16th. I think it was uh, riding from Morristown, New Jersey, into Manhattan uh, for some reason that day, and reading all about Nixon's temporary. Uh, uh, you know, closing of the gold window temporarily. Of course, it's, it's temporary. I guess if you're looking at um, you know infinite amounts of time, it's still temporary. But it's you know 1971, a few years later. Um, so the, you, you remember then very well, John, the stagflation days of the 1970s when we had a very weak economy, a lot of unemployment, and rising prices. It seems like the two shouldn't go together, but they did, right? They did, um, and and this has the the feel of an early version of that because back in the 1970s, growth was lackluster, 
but the government was creating a lot of new currency to try to finance the, the great society social programs and the Vietnam War at the same time. Right, you know? so, right. and, and to manage the, the energy shocks of the, the 1970s. So inflation, in, in a way that people could, under, could understand, you know, gas prices, food prices, things like that, they, they were going up dramatically. And people began to lose faith in the dollar. So we had um, inflation hitting double-digit levels and then everybody moving their capital out of things like fixed income, which were just in a monstrous bear market in the 1970s, and into inflation hedges like gold and silver, and to an extent real estate. Um, And the reason for that is because it it looked like the dollar was going to just evaporate because of government mismanagement. Now, that actually turned out to be kind of um, illusory. The government wasn't actually mismanaging its finances as badly as we thought it was back then, which makes today even more interesting because we're, we're starting to see the early stages of uh, you know, stagflation, as you said, mm-hmm. but the government actually is mismanaging its finances now. You know, It's borrowing insane amounts of money and creating other obligations via underfunded liabilities and things like that, and it's encouraging the private sector to borrow record amounts of money at pretty much every level, you know? And, and so we, we have a legitimate currency crisis coming based on the actions of the US government and the Japanese government and the Chinese government and, and the EU governments uh, because they're all mismanaging their, their economies in the same way. So it'll be interesting to see if, if we have a kind of sort of a repeat of the 1970s or something much more serious because it's real this time. You know, yeah. back then it was uh, it was just a trial run for the the true um, currency collapse that was inevitable after we went to pure fiat currencies. And now we're heading into the part of the cycle when that might be an actual reality. So this gets very interesting very soon, I think. Yeah. Well, certainly in the 1970s is when we, I think it was Nixon that said we're all Keynesians now. And so the whole idea of free market economics, leaving the government out of and not trying to interfere with the natural flows of supply and demand and capital, uh, you know, and timing of capital, which is really what the Keynesians have done is disrupted uh, the time preference, I think, of, of capital, right? And uh, have, as David Stockman says, uh, really not allowing, how can you have capitalism when you're not allowing capital to be priced, uh, price recognition for capital. But, John, you know, in the 70s, I think it was uh, James Dines, I remember pointing out one time that, in fact, um, the 1970s, when you took into effect into account inflation, the, that they were just as devastating to uh, equity holders as the 1930s were because we had, you know, you, your, your, your stock market goes down a lot. It went down a lot in the 70s, as I recall. Uh, and, but, you know, when you factor in high levels of inflation and the purchasing power from the uh, sale of those stocks was drastically in decline. Now we have, of course, if you look at the stock market, we've had this huge bull market that just seems to go on forever. Uh, since 2008, 2009, we've had this massive uh, bull market in stocks. Uh, and yet, if you look at stocks, of course, uh, looking at inf- inflation, it's, they're not nearly as good. Actually, I think I saw stocks priced in gold, and they're not nearly as uh, impressive as they are just looking at the dollar value. But do you think, I mean, it leads me, so the next question I had for you um, is, what do you think about the, um, you know, it, it seems like the stock market, you know, like right now, little people get into the stock market towards the end. Uh, they're finally convinced that there's no danger, that it only goes up forever. Uh, 
what what is it that causes people to be so surprised? And all of a sudden, people are surprised when when the market heads down. Uh, there was an article on your on your website uh, rationalizing those peak cycle numbers. Um, investors are unconcerned about record corporate debt. Talk to us a little bit about what are some of the rationalizations that people make or that are being made now, perhaps, to justify an equity market that is very, very long in the tooth and overvalued by many metrics. Yeah, well, one aspect of this is that people have fairly short memories or no memories at all. You know, if a a bull market goes on for eight or nine years like this one Mm -hmm. has, you have a whole generation of people in the markets now who have never seen a bear market. They've never known a time when stocks and bonds uh, didn't go up. So it's really easy for them to just assume that that's the reality and that they're always going to go up. So buy them at any price because they're always going to go up. If you you overpay a little bit now, they'll go up enough to um, make it work out for you in the long run anyhow. Uh, And the the other thing that uh, that happens at the peak of cycles is that the investment community wants to keep the ball rolling so sure. they come out with a lot of explanations for why it's happening or for why it's different this time yeah that rationalizes stuff that uh, that, that really shouldn't be rationalized uh, but you know people who aren't finance experts who don't spend all their their days obsessing about this stuff like you and I do, Jay, yeah. <laughs> it, it's really easy to, to fool them. If you're a stockbroker and you say, you know what, Amazon is taking over the world. They're going to grow by 30% a year for the next 10 years. So don't worry about what you pay for them now. Mm-hmm. Um, people believe that, especially since it's been going up for such a long time. You know, it's, it's easy to fool people at the very peak, which is why you see a, a changing of the guard in terms of who's buying stocks towards the end of a cycle. The institutional money starts to flow out. In other words, the, the guys who've seen a few business cycles start taking their profits and retail money starts flowing in, which is uh, the almost the ultimate dumb money. You know, just regular guys who, who, who you know, aren't experts in this kind of thing, but they see things going up and they get excited and so they, they um, shift their IRA completely to growth stocks or whatever, right at the peak. And, and you know, that's sad that that happens, but it does happen every single time. But I, I will say that this time around, retail investors aren't the dumbest money because we've got corporations buying back record amounts of their own stock at, at record high prices and governments around the world now buying equities almost randomly. You know, they, they don't even do security analysis. They just buy the S&P yeah. 500 or whatever. Sure. So they're even dumber than, than regular people who maybe actually try to figure out whether something is a good buy. I wonder if they're dumb or if they're just con artists because, frankly, um, you know, the, I think a lot of times stocks uh, are being bought, bought, bought back by the managements of these companies with cheap money, of course, because the interest rates are still so very, very low. Uh, and then they jack up the stock price in order to um, perhaps to exercise their, their options, huh? Yeah, okay, that, that's true. When we're talking about dumb corporate money, we have to differentiate between the executives right, who the might foxes. know what they're doing. Yeah, they, they intend to retire rich and yeah. leave the mess for their successors. And, right. and then the corporation, on the other hand, which is an entity with a long lifespan that goes on, that's an extremely dumb entity. 
in right. terms of buying back its own stock because it's got people, you know, it's like a person with some really bad impulses. You know, if you've got some neuroses, they lead you to do dumb things, you know, and and that's kind of what a corporation is. It's got these executives that are really aren't out for the, uh, the benefit of shareholders. They want right. to pump up the stock price in the short run, get their massive year-end bonuses, cash out their stock options, and then retire, you know, at the age of 67 with millions of dollars and a, a well-functioning company that uh, that's going to have trouble later, but their successor will be blamed for that trouble, you know, and that's that's their plan, and it's working beautifully for these guys lately. Right, I would say also the governments perhaps uh, to get past the next election as well. So oh, it's a it kind absolutely. of like the kind of like the um, the fox that's guarding the chicken coop, I'd say perhaps. Yes. but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Jay, you know what it all comes back to is that we gave these guys unlimited printing presses in 1971. Yeah, so we, well, we that's the key. Yes, we, we activated the worst impulse of, um, of the, the political and corporate class, and we gave them basically an unlimited credit card. <laughs> well, that, that has worked for the United States in large part, and I don't know that we have time to get onto this subject, but certainly the United States has benefited from having the world's reserve currency. 1971, when we went off the gold standard, meant that other countries then didn't have the same advantage. Otherwise, it was a sort of a level playing field for everybody. And now, because the United States has its military, its power, it's able to force people to use the dollar and so on and so forth. And I know there's, uh, we've had uh, some discussions with David Jensen and others on this show about what's going on in uh, in China now, uh, the 26th of of March coming up next week, I guess uh, another week or so here that will will start to um, they they're going to start to officially uh, China is going to officially start paying for its oil in yuan, and then there is the opportunity for countries that may not want to hold yuan to hedge in the gold exchange in Shanghai. Have you given any thought to that, John? Just briefly, maybe you you could comment on that. Is that something you think might be? important in terms of looking at the dollar's purchasing power because in the end if the dollar is, becomes you know loses its value vis-a-vis uh, the rest of the world's currencies then that's going to change everything for us isn't it oh yeah well it it, it this might be very important uh, but to put, put to put it in context as you said we had this huge advantage with world's reserve currency and we uh, we exploited it you know we abused our privilege since basically the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, and, and onward to today. And a lot of the rest of the world is mad at us because of that, with good reason, you know? And and so China and Russia, and to a lesser extent Europe, um, would like to get back a little bit of the power that they see us having um, and not deserving. Mm-hmm. So you see a lot of bilateral trade deals out there now where people bypass the dollar, or countries bypass the dollar in their, their trade with each other. Uh, to the extent that that spreads, these countries don't need as many dollars as reserve assets anymore, because part of reserve assets is to facilitate trade. You know, So they, they've got to buy some of the, the their bilateral trading partners' currencies and hold them in reserve um, at the expense of dollars. So you will see the sale of dollar-denominated bonds by China and Japan and, and to an extent Europe and to an extent Saudi Arabia going forward if, if this plays out the way mm-hmm. it could play out. Mm-hmm. And that puts downward pressure on the dollar which um, you know could easily snowball when a currency currency starts to fall, and the government that's managing the currency doesn't have any good tools for arresting that fall. Then you've got Argentina, or I'm sorry, Venezuela, soon to be Argentina maybe, but Venezuela today. No, let's hope not. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and you know we're we're heading for a big 
superpower version of that at some point in the uh, in the future where our currency is so mismanaged that the world loses faith in it but of course all the other fiat currencies are in such bad shape too that uh, you know relatively speaking we don't look so bad right now but it's really a race to the bottom with the euro and the yen and the yuan and the dollar so the the question for the future kind of becomes you know, who gets there first and, and, you know, what's the relative order. But there isn't a question that these currencies are all headed downward because they're all the governments are making the same mistakes. They're all taking on too much debt. They're all creating too much currency. They've all pushed interest rates down to artificially low levels. They're all, as you said, warping the price signaling mechanism of the markets by manipulating them for public policy goals. Uh, so that can't lead anywhere but to a loss of faith in these fiat currencies. So it's more of a, a question of timing. You know, when does this blow up yeah. rather than if it blows up? Yeah. Well, uh, a very interesting article at dollarcollapse.com um, titled, Now We Know How Far Stocks Have to Fall for the Fed to Act. Uh, I mean, act, stocks start to fall, as David Stockman has talked about, the hissy fit that the market throws as soon as it doesn't like rising interest rates. And then the Fed has you know, at least under Janet Yellen and then Bernanke has uh, recanted or relented and has turned around and started pumping money into the system. Uh, and, I, and I have to think that, you know, going back to the 70s again, one of the things, reasons that Volcker raised interest rates was because the rest of the world was saying, we don't want your, we don't want your dollars anymore. You're, you know, but you're just inflating them and we don't, they're becoming increasingly worthless. So Volcker had to raise interest rates uh, or allow interest rates to rise as he took money out of the system. Uh, so what about this article on your, maybe you could talk a little bit about what is sort of a, a key area or a key point in which Jerome Paul, Powell, the new Fed chairman, might start to relent and start to you know stop his tightening process. Because as I understand, I mean, David Stockman told us a couple of weeks ago that he expects four rate rises this year, uh, at least four. Um, so what are your thoughts on that and, and what are some of the people saying in the market and your dollarcollapse.com the article is there I would s- encourage people to go there to read that article and many others that are very very important and insightful articles but tell us about that John well it, it looks like it's about 10% on the stock market when when you have a correction in the S&P 500 or the Dow mm-hmm. the Fed sends out its talking heads first of all to start calming everybody down. And they say, yeah. oh, you know, maybe we'll slow down the pace of interest rates. Or, you know, what, what they did this last time was they, they said, you know what, that 2% inflation target, that's just, um, that's a suggestion. We could go to 3 <laughs> or 4% if we need to, you know. Uh-huh. And, and the idea was that money will be easier in the future than the market is afraid that it will be. Mm-hmm. Now, that's phase one. If stocks keep dropping from there, let's say we have a 20% drop in stock prices, which is a, you know the official uh, definition of a bear market, then you'll see other things happen. The, the Fed will maybe even say, okay, never mind about interest rate increases from now on. We've raised enough. That'll do it. And if that still doesn't work, then it's QE to infinity again. They will come back out and start buying every kind of asset ima- imaginable. And they'll cut interest rates to zero and beyond. And that's really what what happens in the next recession, okay, which has to come. I mean, we're nine years into a recovery, which makes this one of the longest recoveries ever. So we got a recession out there just in the normal course of the business cycle. When it happens, 
um, the Fed will drop this whole pretense of um, of raising rates and trying to normalize monetary policy. policy. They will go back to um, QE, but much more extreme than what we had in the past. And they'll start buying equities and they'll buy junk bonds and you name it, they'll buy it with newly created currency. That's, I think, when everything blows up, you know, because who wants the the currency of a country who's doing something like that? John, with just a couple of minutes left here yet, uh, a couple of other articles on your site at dollarcollapse.com. Yield curve turns threatening again. And another one was yet another chart that screams look out. And that second one had to do with uh, uh, with debt default rates, I think. Um, uh, talk to us about some of these things that investors should keep an eye on for maybe a, a key to a tipping point. What are, what are some of the things you're seeing? A yield, yield, cur- yield curve, for example, uh, or... Uh, debt default spreads yeah basically all the indicators that in the past um reached points that that preceded crises are at those points again you know so anything you look at is screaming recession imminent (laughs) you know and uh, for instance the yield curve that's the um the difference in yield between long-term debt and short-term debt and in a healthy economy long-term debt yields more than short-term debt uh in a in an economy that's tipping over into a recession, getting ready to slow down, that line flattens out. So the short-term debt and long-term debt yield pretty much the same thing. Um, well, we're heading for that again. The uh, the long-term yield on, on say, 10-year treasury bonds is rising, but it's rising more slowly than short-term yields. And the yield curve is flattening out. Now, that's a sign that a recession is coming. It's been a pretty good indicator over the years, and we're headed back there. We're not quite at the the trigger point, but another few months, like the last few months, and we're there. You know, And the uh, junk bond default rate is incredibly low, even as huge amounts of debt is being taken on at the, at the, in the corporate sector. Um, when junk default rates reach a certain point, that's also usually a sign that they're going to turn around, you know, because they there, there has to be a background level of default rates within the junk sector. And, uh, and when you hit that, uh, that tends to indicate that money is so easy that it can't stay this easy for very much longer. Uh, All right. And then, oh, John, John, we're going to have to leave it go at that. Uh, I, I guess um, what investors should do then right now in 10 seconds. <laughs> oh, be, be careful. Uh, things are getting unstable, and uh, and you want to protect yourself as best you can. All right. We'll have to leave a go at that. Uh, gold and cash and stay out of debt, I guess. Those are the big ones. So are. Anyway, John, my apologies. I just uh, realized that we're running out of time here. Um, so thanks very much for being with us. Folks, that is all the time we have. Next week, Charles Hugh Smith will be with me to talk about uh, international trade. And um, hopefully we'll also have Michael Oliver with us again. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 